five, four, three, two, one. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Inside You, the college sports podcast. And there is a lot to get into today, so let's get started. First things first, we want to give a shout out to and our condolences to anyone dealing with Hurricane Florence right now. That has resulted in already six games being canceled and another few being postponed or changed. Certainly, there's a possibility that more games could be impacted by this, but anyone in the Carolinas, in the eastern northeast right now dealing with that, very sorry. Condolences to you. Best of luck getting through it this weekend. So that's obviously a huge thing. Uh, Some of these teams have already said that they're looking to reschedule their games or schedule a 12th game later in the season. But for another year, you're going to have teams being forced to cancel games because of a hurricane. The next big story going around right now, the University of Dartmouth, excuse me, Dartmouth University announced that it had hired the first female coach at the Division I level. Um, the new coach will be the offensive quality control coach. This is a non-on-field position, meaning that they're unable to interact with players or coach them, but they are able to watch film, help in the organizing and practice, other things. Uh, right now, obviously, female coaching in football is a big story. I don't think we're that far off from seeing female coaches start to be, I don't want to say a norm, but less unusual in college football, especially when you consider that coaching in general is already very much of a hereditary profession. I mean, you look at the Ryans, you look at the Kiffins, you look at the Petrinos. I don't really imagine it being very hard to say that in the future we could see somebody like a Nick Saban. Maybe his daughter says she's interested in coaching. She wants to get into it. Obviously, having a Saban last name is going to help open some doors. Um, So I do think that we will very soon see female coaches be less and less of a shock. However, I think it will be a while before we see them start to move up to the level of coordinators and eventually being a full-time head coach. Um, You know, when we still look at it today, there's been a lot of talk about the lack of minority head coaches in college football and the NFL And I think that that will get taken care of a lot sooner than we see female coaches just for the simple fact that, you know, males are a lot more likely to play football and play it at a high level, which kind of sets them up for those positions as coordinators, which then typically results in them getting uh, the head coaching job. But like I said, I don't think it'll be a long time before female coaches are less and less of a shock, quote unquote. I just think it's going to be a while before we see one of them end up being a head coach. But who knows? Like I mentioned earlier, if Nick Saban's daughter were to say, hey, dad, I want to be a coach, I don't think it'd be too surprising to see her on the Alabama sidelines. And then who knows how long after that. Um, But certainly a positive step forward, great thing to see. And the last storyline, Forbes announced this list of the most profitable programs in college football and surely will only continue to fuel the rivalry. Texas A&M surpassed Texas as the most profitable brand in college football, followed by Michigan, then Alabama, and then Ohio State. Uh, Keep in mind that already this year, some news was made when Texas offered Texas A&M a chance to play in a few years, and Texas A&M turned them down, quoting, saying that they already had their schedule filled. However, also kind of saying that, you know, while Texas offered it to them and Texas tried to make it look like A&M turned them down, they thought it was more of kind of a prefunctory offer or for show than anything. So that will continue to only fuel the rivalry. So moving right along, we want to give a quick Heisman update. Uh, Very interesting first few weeks of college football. You know, some of the early season Heisman picks, the most notable one being 
Khalil Tate at the University of Arizona have completely fallen off, whereas other players like Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray have surprised. Right now, when I think of Heisman candidates, there's seven that come to mind. Starting off with Dwayne Haskins, the new quarterback at Ohio State. Granted, in his first two games against Oregon State and Rutgers, Haskins hasn't been required to do too much, but this weekend, Ohio State has a big game against TCU. That'd be a big road win. And if Haskins can continue to perform the way he has in this short sample size, it will be interesting to see what happens from there. Next being Kyler Murray. Murray replacing former Oklahoma quarterback Baker Mayfield, who's now with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Murray has definitely shown a difference with his ability to run. In many ways, you could say that he might even be possibly doing a better job than Baker Mayfield was last season. Right now, he's owned five touchdowns to only one interception. But uh, something that Murray's going to have to deal with in the next few games is the loss of star running back Rodney Anderson. Uh, without Anderson on the board, defenses are definitely going to be able to key in on Murray a lot more. And it should be interesting to see what happens from there. Then we've got Will Greer, uh, of what the quarterback at West Virginia. He started the, the, we, the college football season off with probably the most hype following his dominant victory over Tennessee. Um, unfortunately, Greer will not be playing a game this weekend as the Mountaineers game against North Carolina State was canceled. But uh, right now, he is probably the biggest favorite for in the Heisman race with nine touchdowns. Then you've got Ed Oliver, and Oliver is a very interesting candidate in that first off, he's a defensive player, and even at that, he's a defensive tackle. He's not, you know, a defensive end who's going to be known for being a rusher. He's kind of in the middle, and while Oliver only has zero sack, doesn't have a sack yet this season, you can certainly see his impact on the field when he's commanding double and triple teams every time. Um... Double and triple teams every time, uh, and certainly should be interesting to see how he continues to perform. Already, Houston was able to defeat uh, Arizona this past weekend in what was definitely a big game for Oliver and his candidacy. Uh, I think Oliver ends up being a finalist, but I just don't think he'll have the heat behind him to be the ultimate winner. However, he certainly is causing an impact on every other team he plays. So definitely fun to see so far. Then you've got Jonathan Taylor, who is my pick to win the Heisman. He already has five touchdowns and averaging an insane 7.8 yards per carry. Granted, not against the best competition, but between that offensive line, between quarterback Alex Hornibrook, between that receiving score, I just think Taylor is going to have so many, has the most positives in his favor. So... He's continued to uh, show what he can do. Then you've got Tua Tagovailoa, Alabama's quarterback. He's looked phenomenal. People have already said, you know, this is a very much of a departure from what we've known under Nick Saban, and that Saban traditionally has had game managers. He's been able to rely on his defense, the running backs, the other skill players, special teams. Now he has a true offensive threat. Uh, with Tua, though, he, while he's been good in what we've seen so far, you can't, we have to be careful in just anointing him the chosen one, and that his only two victories as a starter come against a Louisville team, which frankly I thought was overrated to begin with, and then a Arkansas State team. So this weekend, when Alabama travels to Ole Miss to play the Rebels, I think is when we're going to get our first real test for Tua. It should be interesting to see what he can do, but he has certainly impressed so far. 
And last but not least, Mackenzie Milton. Milton, uh, again, one of the other guys outside of the Power 5 to enter the season with a lot of hype behind him. However, he did not have a great game this last weekend, throwing three interceptions to South Carolina State. Um, And this weekend, the Golden Knights game against North Carolina was canceled, so that's going to allow that kind of bad taste to be left in Heisman Trophy voters' mouths for two weeks. So right now, when we're looking at it, I think the real candidates are – Oliver, Greer, Taylor, Tua, Tagovailoa, and those are kind of the four front runners right now. Uh, some could certainly emerge, but I still think Taylor takes it. Uh, Will Greer, I think he's going to do tremendous, but I just think that the Mountaineers' defense is going to cost them a game or two this season, and that'll be enough to give Taylor the edge, especially if the Badgers do end up going undefeated this season. So moving on to probably one of the most entertaining uh, segments that I've done so far, new coach who dis. There are 13 new Power 5 head coaches, and they have certainly had various openings in their short time span. Granted, most of these coaches have only played two games. Some have only played one, like Nebraska's Scott Frost. But still, you know, before we enter the season, there's a lot of guessing and a lot of estimation and a lot of... uh, credibility given to previous seasons previous opponents and until we get those first few games it's really hard to tell first off what the team's going to look like and then secondly what impact the coach will have on the team so starting off with Willie Taggart the new head coach at Florida State Taggart while he entered this season with some some of the most hype among the new coaches certainly not off to a great start a very disheartening loss to Virginia Tech to start the season, followed by with them being barely able to beat Sanford this season. And then this weekend, they are traveling to Syracuse in a game which I have picked the Orange Men to win. Uh, what's been most striking about the Seminoles so far is the penalties coupled with the offensive inefficiency. They've got a running back in Cam Akers who last year was able to run for a thousand yards, pretty much all on his own after James Blackman was hurt in the opening game against Alabama. And while he's done well in his first few games in Taggart's offense, we haven't seen the potency that we saw last uh, season. And they still have games against Boston College, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Miami, and a late season travel trip to North Carolina State. And so altogether, this really makes me question whether the Seminoles' consecutive streak of 35 bowl appearances is in jeopardy. At this point, I have them finishing 6-6. Six and six. What we've seen from this Florida State team certainly has me concerned. And I think what's also most disheartening about it is that last season, without their starting quarterback, the Seminoles were able to rally together and win enough games to be bowl eligible. They ultimately won their bowl game finishing 7-6. and six. This season, they have their quarterback back. They have what you would think are the offensive pieces, and yet they have just looked inept, and they've looked sloppy and uncoached. And it really does not bode well. Still, this is early. Granted, I do give Willie Taggart that and his staff that. But, you know, there's one of the few things you can control is preparation. And so far, the Seminoles have looked unprepared. So I've got them finishing 6-6. Six and six. But I also will say that this consecutive bowl streak of 35 consecutive bowl appearances is certainly in doubt right now. We're going to learn a lot this weekend when the Seminoles travel 
to Syracuse for their first road game. Moving on, Matt Kanata, the interim head coach at Maryland. Kanata found his way to the interim job in a bit of a interesting turn of events. Last season, he was the offensive coordinator at LSU. He and LSU head coach Ed Ordron butted heads, resulting in Kanata leaving in the offseason. He ends up at Maryland. Then, of course, Jordan McNair's death happens. All of the fallout subsequently occurs. Matt Kanata finds himself in the interim head coaching position. Starts it off with a huge upset over Texas. Then this last weekend, they defeat Bowling Green. And this weekend, they're playing a Temple team, which although they entered the season as one of the favorites in the American conference, have not performed up to par. So I've got them finishing 7-5. and five. They still have tough games at Michigan, Iowa, and Penn State, as well as hosting Ohio State. But them finishing 7-5 and five with everything they've dealt with, all of the turmoil in the offseason, losing a player would certainly be considered a victory in my book. And it wouldn't surprise me if they finish 8-4. and four. Certainly, Iowa's beatable. Penn State hasn't looked great. And Michigan's offense is always questionable. So 7-5. and five. Next, Scott Frost. Frost's start as a head coach at Nebraska certainly did not get off to the right start. Their opening game against Akron was canceled. I was at that game. It was very disappointing. There were a lot of people there. They were excited. This was a fan base that I saw wanting to get back to its former glory days. And unfortunately, that game never happened. Now, while athletic director Bill Moose has stated that they do wish to try and schedule a 12th game, no announcement yet has occurred of whether that game will happen and if it so who it will be against. And obviously they took a big loss this last weekend when quarterback Adrian Martinez was hurt because of the transfer of previous other quarterback Tristan Gebbia to Oregon State. Now Nebraska is without a scholarship quarterback on their roster. Their only quarterback, excuse me, the quarterback that they're most likely going to rely on is sophomore walk-on Andrew Bunch. But they've certainly got a long roll ahead of them. And they've got a game against Troy this weekend, who even with having lost to Boise State a couple weekends ago, is still one of the better group of five programs. And then you look at the rest of their schedule, and they've got to travel to Michigan, Wisconsin, and Ohio State. So right now, five and six looks likely, assuming they aren't able to reschedule that game. If they are, it will be six and six. I think this is why we're seeing athletic director Bill Moose work so hard to try and find a 12th game, is I think he knows that it's very likely that they finish either five and six or six and six and getting them bowl eligible in this first year would be huge for Scott Frost and this program. But at the same time, with everything that Scott Frost has had to deal with, with all the hype that he had coming in and with him being a Nebraska native and then possibly losing Martinez for a game or two, he's going to kind of be given a mulligan on this year. If he can finish bowl eligible and if he's able to pull off an upset victory, which I think a big ups possible upset for them will be Michigan State, who they face in November. That will be a great finish to year one and a lot to build on in year two. Next, we've got Mario Cristobal. Cristobal ended up the head coach at Oregon after Willie Taggart took the job at Florida State. So far, they are 2-0, but their wins have come over Por Bowling Green and Portland State. And this weekend, they're playing San Jose State, who does not look impressive at all. Very likely, they start out 3-0. Their toughest remaining game is a road trip to Utah. And really what we're seeing in Oregon is that, you know, when you talk about the Pac-12 and quote-unquote the cupcakes that they schedule, well, this is a prime example. I mean, Oregon, who has one of the top quarterbacks in college football right now and Justin Herbert, is playing three games against opponents, which 
combined will probably finish the season with losing records. Uh, sure, the conference play will be much better, but I've got them finishing nine and three. However, I don't think even with a nine and three finish, they'll finish in the top 10 because three of those victories will have come against, like I said, Bowling Green, Portland State, and San Jose State. Still, though, nine and three, great. Willie Taggart did only go seven and five, and it should be interesting to see what happens next year without Herbert. So that moves us to the other school program in Oregon, Oregon State. Jonathan Smith, the new head coach there. Smith, obviously, previously the quarterback at Oregon State under former head coach Mike Riley, opened the season off with a rough loss to Ohio State. But Ohio State is certainly a powerhouse, and Oregon State is not. Remember, Oregon State only managed to win one game in 2017. This past weekend, though, they defeated Southern Utah. In the process, Connor Blout looked better. Running backs Artavius Pierce and Jermar Jefferson certainly are very potent. Great combination. And this weekend, they traveled to Nevada. I believe that the Beavers will win this game in what would be considered a minor upset. I think that they've got just enough pieces to get the job done. After that, they've got road trips to Stanford and Washington in back-to-back weeks, which will be tough. But I still think that the Beavers finished the season four and eight, which would mean they'd won three more games than they did in 2017 and would be a huge step in the right direction. That moves us to probably the most disappointing Pac-12 program at the moment, Arizona. Kevin Sumlin is the coach there after Rich Rodriguez was fired in the offseason for a number of reasons. Sumlin obviously the former head coach at A&M. A lot of people were intrigued to see what he could do teaming up with a mobile quarterback in Khalil Tate, but so far the offense has been listless. They started the season off with a bad loss to BYU, and things only got worse against Houston last weekend. While they placed a Southern Utah team that Oregon State handled easily last weekend, I don't think it bodes well from here. Uh, this is a team that went seven and six in 2017, and right now I've got them going four and eight. I know that Khalil Tate was rumored to have an ankle injury this past weekend, which they claim affected his mobility. But I also have to wonder if this is a case similar to RG3, where someone is trying to turn in a dual threat guy into a pocket passer rather than just letting him do what he does well. So it should be interesting to see what happens. But of the new head coaches in the Pac-12 right now. Sumlin and the Wildcats are off to the worst start. Another new coach in the Pac-12, Chip Kelly. Kelly 0-2 as well, losing to Cincy in an upset after starter Wilton Spade suffered a back injury and then getting blown out by Oklahoma this past weekend. Still, though, when I look at UCLA, even with it being a young team, even with them having 72% of their roster being freshmen, I see a team that is fighting and working to get better. That's why I have them upsetting Fresno State this weekend. After that, they've got to travel to Colorado and Oregon. And unfortunately, they probably will finish the season 2-10. and 10. They really just don't have the depth right now or the weapons to compete with most of the Pac-12. And they're really seeing that lack of experience. But if they can pull off a big upset this, week, this year, that'd be great for them. And like I've said earlier, with the state of the Bruins basketball program right now, Kelly will basically be given a mulligan this year. So really, his clock doesn't start till next year. And that moves us on to the last new coach in the Pac-12, Herm Edwards. ASU coming off a huge upset of Michigan State this past weekend. 2-0 after beating UTSA in their first weekend. Now, this weekend, they're going to have a very telling game against SDSU. We're going to find out whether Herm Edwards can keep his players focused coming off a big win. 
Certainly, ASU should be able to win this game with and kill Harry. We should see him as the bigger wide receiver getting targeted like J.J.R. Sega Whitesell was able to do against SDSU's defense in the first week of the season. But unlike the Cardinals, the Sun Devils do not have a potent running threat that the Aztecs have to worry about. And that's why I think when you combine the fact that the Sun Devils will probably be entering this game a little bit unfocused, and you look at what SDSU should be able to run, do running the ball with Jawan Washington, I've got the Aztecs winning the, that game. Following that, the Sun Devils travel to USC, Washington, and Oregon, and I've got them finishing the season 6-6. Six and six. However, they've already got that signature win over Michigan State to build on. Herm Edwards appears to be very much involved, very much interested in turning this program around. It's just going to take time. And that's when I talk about Michigan. this win over Michigan, I always say you have to look at how it is age. If they win this game, but they finish 6-6, six and six, are we really going to be that happy at the end of the year? Remember, Todd Graham was able to get the Sun Devils 7-5 and five last season, resulting in his being fired. A lot of people questioned whether the expectations that Athletic Director Ray Graham and Herm Edwards were putting on the Sun Devils were realistic. We're certainly going to find out, but still a very big victory over Herm Edwards. He has probably earned his salary for this season just off of that alone. That moves us to Jeremy Pruitt, who's one and one Pruitt got the raw deal of having to face one of the top offenses in the first week of the season against West Virginia. As trying as hard as he could, they were unable to corral Will Greer and the rest of that offense. They did rebound by beating ETSU this past weekend. But then they've got games at Georgia and Auburn, as well as hosting Alabama. And so I think a 6-6 six and six finish for the Volunteers would be good. That also means that they will no be unable to finish SEC play 0-8 uh, like they did last season. But it's going to take time for Pruitt to turn that program around. The defense, I think, will get better quicker, but the offense will take time. They do need a quarterback stat. But 6-6 six and six is my prediction. That moves us to Dan Mullen, who is probably in a competition right now with Willie Taggart for most unimpressive start as a new head coach. Mullen's team started off the season great with a big win over Charleston Southern. The offense appeared to be finally clicking, but then last weekend they lost to Kentucky. This was the first time that Kentucky had beaten Florida in 31 years. You never want to be known as the coach that breaks a streak that way. And this weekend, they've got a tough game against Colorado State, who managed to upset SEC member Arkansas a weekend ago. Uh, if the offense falters, there is a possibility that the Rams are able to finish the, win this game. CSU's problems hasn't been offensive production. It's been their defense being able to hold and stop defenses. And if Mullen's team comes out playing like they did in the latter half of that Kentucky game, there's a very real possibility that the Rams upset. Following this game, Mullen's team has road games against Mississippi State, and then obviously they face Georgia in the world's largest cocktail party. So I've got them going 6-6. Six and six. Uh, One of the things that strikes me about Mullen and this Florida program is that while these programs certainly need time to rebuild, they definitely have the same quarterback issues. You know, Felipe Franks is the starter right now. Emory Jones, who was in many ways the crown jewel of Dan Mullen's first recruiting class, it looks like he's going to need some time to develop. The receiving core needs to get better. There's a lot of issues there, and yet it seems like in the swamp, there were expectations that Mullen would walk in and turn them into an SEC powerhouse overnight. That is not the case. 
and it is going to take time to turn around the Gators, and it should be interesting to see what happens from here. But I do believe in Mullen. I think he'll get everything right. I just think it's going to take time. So I've got them finishing the season 6-6. Six and six. That moves us to Joe Moorhead, the new head coach at Mississippi State. Of the new coaches in the SEC, probably entered the season with the best uh, excuse me, with the best situation. He was able to rely on returning starter Nick Fitzgerald. He had a good running back in Arius Williams. And so far, the Bulldogs are 2-0, beating Stephen F. Austin and Kansas State. And this weekend, they're playing University of Louisiana Lafayette. Following that, they've got games at Alabama, Kentucky, and LSU. While some have picked the Bulldogs to finish in the top and possibly even win the SEC West this year. I don't see it. That Kansas State game, even with the final score being a blowout, it was a lot closer than the score would allow you to show. Granted, Nick Fitzgerald was rusty coming off a having been suspended the first game of the season, but I think that Kentucky game is going to be a lot more difficult than people expect. Kentucky this weekend is playing Murray State, which is basically an opportunity for them to rest. They're going to have a huge confidence boost following defeating Florida. There's a good chance that Moorhead's team does lose that game. So I've got them finishing 7-5, and five, uh, which would be probably a little bit of a disappointment, but still a good year and nothing to laugh at. Then we move on to Jimbo Fisher. Fisher, similar to Dan Mullen, started things off huge with a nice explosive blowout of Northwestern State. Then they lost to Clemson this last weekend. Now, in this loss, this was the most impressive. I don't think they could have done anything differently or more impressive in loss, in losing, and I think they should be considered as having improved in their loss. Uh, in many ways, this game came down to one error, which I think most people would agree the referees got wrong. This weekend, Fisher's team should be able to rebound against the University of Louisiana Monroe. Then they've got games at Alabama and Auburn, which will be tough. And they also lost linebacker Anthony Hines to a season-ending injury. But I still think that bodes well for them finishing 8-4. and four. Sure, this still keeps them under nine games, which is what got Kevin Sumlin fired, I realize. But this team looks completely different. And it only looks like it'll be a matter of time before they break through and before they really do challenge Alabama in that SEC West. So should be very interesting to see what happens there. Kellen Mon has certainly impressed me. He may even end the season on some Heisman Trophy watch list. Moving on to the last new head coach, Chad Morris. And Morris certainly started things off big with a win over Eastern Illinois. However, losing to a Colorado State team that was unable to defeat Hawaii or Colorado does not bode well. They've got North Texas this weekend who's already beat SMU. North Texas certainly has a great quarterback in Mason Fine. If the Hogs' offense continues to stutter, there's a very good chance that UNT manages to win this game. Then later in the season, they've got road trips to Auburn and Mississippi State. And I think of all the coaches in the SEC right now, people thought realized this would be the biggest rebuild. I've got them finishing 3-9. and nine. It just appears that it's going to take a lot more time to turn that program around, and we'll see what happens. Uh, when Morris got the job, I was kind of surprised in the sense that it seemed like he was being given a promotion with a very small sample size of work, but people around the Hogs do believe he's their guy, and we'll have to see what happens. So I've got them finishing 3-9. and nine. 
That moves us to this weekend's top group of five matchups. Before we get started, I want to highlight one power five matchup I forgot to uh, on Monday, and that is Alabama and Ole Miss. Ole Miss enters this game with a bull ban, meaning they're essentially playing for nothing. However, they have one of the top receiving cores in the country. Quarterback Jordan Tayamu looks to be very explosive, although their defense is certainly a concern. However, this is that game that I could really see Alabama losing because it seems like after the Louisville game where Tua Tagovailoa was named the starter, Alabama looks like they think they can just coast and everything's fine now and there's no longer a quarterback controversy and Jalen Hurts is fine with playing this mop of duty role. And I think it's very possible that we see Alabama come in and struggle a little bit early. That's going to give Ole Miss confidence. And if this turns into a shootout, there's a chance Ole Miss wins. I can't pick Ole Miss solely because of their defensive concerns, but I will not be surprised if this is a game that's tighter than most expect. So moving on to our first group of five matchup this weekend, we've got Boise State taking on Oklahoma State. Boise State right now has the most hype among the group of five programs. Oklahoma State rebuilding after the loss of Mason Rudolph and James Washington, although Taylor Cornelius and Justice Hill should be a potent combination at some point. Hill so far hasn't looked too great, only having 32 rushing yards against South Alabama, although he was better against Missouri State this past weekend. But I do have the Broncos winning this game. What this means in the long run should be interesting. In many ways, the quality of this victory will only be determined once Oklahoma State enters Big 12 play. But I do have the Broncos winning that game. That moves us to SMU taking on Michigan. SMU last weekend had just about everything go right for it in the first half against TCU. However, a Cavante Turpin returned punt for a touchdown changed the entire flow and momentum of the game. I don't think you're going to see anything like that go in their favor this weekend against Michigan. So you have to pick the Wolverines in that game. But it should be interesting to see. You know, Michigan's offense certainly looked better last weekend. But that was really against an opponent, which I think they were expected to do that against. This is really going to give us more of a test of Shane Patterson and the rest of those offensive pieces to let us know what the Wolverines have. Moving on, we've got USF taking on Illinois. Both of these programs are 2-0 right now, although they are not a equivalent 2-0. USF had a huge win over Georgia Tech this last weekend. Meanwhile, Illinois has beaten a bad Kent State team as well as a bad Western Illinois team. And Illinois is without starting wide receiver Mike Dudet, who suffered another season-ending injury. I've got the Bulls winning this game. I think what we're seeing from South Florida is they're certainly not a great team but they are pretty good. Blake Barnett did impress me in just his sheer will and desire and his ability to get the job done against Georgia Tech this weekend. It will likely be another high-scoring game, and you always have to account for the fact that Terrence Horn might be able to run in another kick or two. So between those things, I think the Bulls take that. And then we've got Colorado State taking on Florida. Now, everything about this game says that the Gators should easily walk over Colorado State. Their defense has been horrid. But Colorado State's entering the game with a lot of hype and a lot of confidence after having upset Arkansas in a come-from-behind victory last weekend. Florida certainly facing its uh, questions right now after losing to Kentucky for the first time in 31 years. And if this game becomes a shootout, who knows what happens. 
I've got the Gators winning, but I think this will be a lot closer than people expect, and this is going to be very much reflective of what we can expect out of Florida this season. Then we've got North Texas taking on Arkansas. North Texas has quarterback Mason Fine, who's one of the top quarterbacks in the group of five. Arkansas coming off a rough loss to Colorado State. I have North Texas winning this game solely because I believe in their offense more than I believe in the Hogs. And I think it's going to open a lot of people's eyes into how good Mason Fine and that Mean Green team is. Then we've got Houston taking on Texas Tech. This is going to give Houston its third opportunity to pull off a victory over, uh, excuse me, second opportunity to pull off a victory over a Power 5 school, having defeated Arizona last weekend. Texas Tech enters the game with starting quarterback McLean Carter's health being questionable. He suffered an ankle injury. And I think what you're going to see is similar to against Arizona, the amount of focus and attention that Ed Oliver receives will result in the Cougars defense being able to lock down Texas Tech. And also the Cougars offense certainly looked very impressive last weekend and what they were able to do against the Wildcats. Derek King appears to be coming into his own. Montez Stevenson had a couple of nice catches. So I've got the Cougars winning that game. And the last game of the weekend we want to discuss is Troy taking on Nebraska. Starting quarterback for the Cornhuskers, Adrian Martinez, was held out of his third consecutive day of practice. You've got Andrew Bunch, a sophomore walk-on, likely being the starter at this point. Because Tristan Gebbia, the other scholarship quarterback on the Cornhuskers roster, decided to transfer after he did not win the quarterback competition. Nebraska last weekend came up short against a very good Colorado team. Certainly, it was great to see Martinez gain confidence with every series, but his being knocked out of the game ultimately resulted in the Buffaloes being able to come from behind and win the game. I think Nebraska wins this game solely just on the fact of talent. They should be able to run the ball effectively, but I think it will be a very close game. Also a bit of a measuring stick game in that Boise State was able to handle Troy pretty easily a few weeks ago, but should be interesting to see if head coach Scott Frost does in fact get his first victory as the Cornhuskers head coach this weekend. So that's everything we've got today. A lot of interesting games this weekend. I will be back on Monday to review all of those games as well as give an update on the Heisman Trophy race following the third week of college football. So you guys have a great weekend. I will see you soon. It's Inside You, the College Footballers Contest, signing out. Bye.